0: And that's the perfect setting for Jesus to show up and do something amazing. Because we can look at our own lives and say, I'm no hero, right? I can't rescue people like that. I I can't be like Chuck Norris and walk up to a guy and kick him across the yard. You know, I can't do those things. I'm just an ordinary person. So is this woman. And it's the perfect spot for Jesus to show up and show us our value and show us our possibility of what he can do and through us. So let me give you a little bit of a background on the story to set this up. About 700 years before this story actually even happens, the Assyrians come over and they take over uh, God's people, the Israelites, all right? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When God's people honored God, they had his blessing and his protection. But then they would forget to honor God and God would remove his blessing and protection and they would get conquered. That's what happened here. The Assyrian people led by King Sargon, which sounds like something straight out of a comic book, right? King Sargon comes in with the Assyrians and they take over the Israelites. And so as he moves in... He begins to make slaves out of the Israelite people and ship these these Jewish people off to different parts of the country. And then he imports in other Assyrian people and people from from different races and areas and sets up shop there. And as time goes by, as we move from this 700 years to the place where we're going to see this woman at the well, something happens within this culture right here. These Assyrians that took over, they began to intermarry With the Jewish people that still live there. And basically created a new race. This race is called the Samaritans. Alright. So when you hear Samaritans in the Bible. They're talking about these despicable people. Who overtook God's people. And eventually as time moved on. They began to to mix and marry. And now you created a new race of people. Called the Samaritans. So as you can imagine. The Jews were a little bit bitter about this. They'd been shipped off, moved out of their homeland, and the Assyrians had taken over. And so the people that were still there, the Samarians, the pure Jews, absolutely despised these people. They wanted absolutely nothing to do with these people called the Samaritans who lived in the area of Palestine. They considered these people absolutely despicable, Honestly, they had an extremely racist attitude towards them. They refused to have anything to do with them. I don't mean they just didn't like them. I mean, they, they went to extra measure to have absolutely nothing to do with Samaritans. It was so bad that the Jews would often be traveling from Judea to Galilee, which was uh, popular places where Jews lived. But in between there, you have the Samaritans. And so the simple route would be, if you're going from Judea to Galilee, it would have been about a 70-mile trip, about a a two-and-a-half-day walk, because most of them walked back in that day, right? So it was about a 70-mile trip. So just to give you some modern-day comparison, to put it in context for you, could we pull up the first map? It would be about the equivalent of walking from San Antonio to Kerrville, all right? So this was common for Jews. They would go from San Antonio to Kerrville because there were lots of Jewish events and family and cultures that were in those two problems there's a, in those two cities. There's a problem there, though, and the problem is Bernie. All right? I'm, I apologize for any of you who are from Bernie. Bernie is where the Samaritans live. And the Jews absolutely despised the Samaritans, so much so that they chose to take a different route. Can we get map two? This is how they would travel. They would literally double their trip, making it a 140-mile round, uh, roundabout way to get to the place where they were going. So it would be the equivalent of going from San Antonio, walking to San Marcos, to Fredericksburg, and then down to Kerrville, just so you don't have to go through Bernie to get the Samaritan cooties. Right? That's, I mean, that's exactly how they looked at it. They wanted to do whatever they could to avoid these people so they would walk as far around as they could to avoid Samaritans. They absolutely despised and had an extreme disdain for the Samaritans. Now, you may think, but Pastor Adam, I remember a Bible story called The Good Samaritan, right? And the point of that story is it's a total contrast It would be the equivalent in today's society of saying the good axe murderer, the good pedophile, right? In our minds, we think, oh no, 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 no! You cannot put those two words together, and that's how it would be to a Jewish person. You cannot say good Samaritan, and so that's what brings that story, which is for another time. But that's what brings that story to life, is because it puts good and Samaritan together, and any Jewish person who heard this would go, oh, wait a minute! There's a contrast there. You cannot be good. And a Samaritan. But here we have the Samaritans. And the Samaritans have inter... uh, You know, it's the Assyrians and the Jewish people that have intermarried. So they have some Jewish culture still within their society. They worship God, but they do it in a little bit different way. And so the Jews don't want to have anything to do with these people. But then as we're going to get into our story, you're going to see that Jesus, who is a Jew, interacts with this woman who is a Samaritan... But she's not just any woman. So, okay, so not only would it be extremely unusual for a Jew and a Samaritan to have any interaction so, uh, whatsoever, it would also be extremely rare for a man in that culture to have any interaction with a woman in public. In that particular culture, don't get mad at me ladies, that's just how it was. They wouldn't have had any interaction. But this wasn't just any Samaritan. And she wasn't just any woman. This woman... The Bible tells us had been married five times and she was already on to the next guy that she was living with. That's unusual in our culture. That's extremely unusual in her culture. Now, we don't know why this woman was married five times. Maybe each one of her husbands had died. It's a possibility. We don't know. But if that was the case, this woman would have been seen as a black widow Nobody would have wanted to marry this woman next, right? Because if you marry this woman next, what's going to happen? You're next, right? You're dead. So nobody's going to want to marry this woman. Maybe all five of her husbands just traded her in for a younger Samaritan model. I don't know. Maybe, and if that's the case, she would have certainly had a low self-esteem of realizing she's not good enough. Or maybe a good possibility is she just couldn't bear children. And in that society, if a woman couldn't bear children... She would have been seen as worthless and her husband could have divorced her and said, I'll just get another wife. Whatever the case, you can be sure that this woman had little to no self-esteem. She realizes not only is she a Samaritan, a despised culture, but even within her own culture, she is despised. She is the lowest of the low. And nobody wants to have much of anything to do with her. This woman not only was married five times, which means she would have had a past, but she lives in Burnie, which is a small town, Samaria, right? How many of you grew up in a small town? Everybody knows your past, right? Everybody knows what you did last weekend. Everybody knows who you used to date. Everybody knows who you were married to the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time. Everybody knows this woman's past, So if we're looking at a spectrum of zero being one end and hero being the other, this woman is the marker for what a zero is. She is the lowest of the low. So what we can be sure of is that life has left this woman empty. It may be because of choices that she's made in her life. Maybe it's because of choices that other people made that she didn't have any say in. Whatever the reason is, This woman is empty on the inside. But what I love to see is that Jesus, as we go through the Gospels, is continually associating Himself with people who are in great need, with imperfect people. It's one thing I love about Rock Hills Church too. It's full of imperfect people. And I want you to know today, if you're not perfect, if you've messed up, you are in the right place because you are in a place where Jesus Himself can come and meet with you. Not only can He meet with you, but He can do the extraordinary through ordinary people. What I want you to understand today, I want you to be able to see yourself the way that God sees you, and I want you to understand that God Himself can do extraordinary things through an ordinary person just like you. So this woman's story, she's going out to a well at high noon, right? She's going out to a well at high noon. Usually, women would go out to the well at a different time of day, right? All right, you guys live in San Antonio, so you know what it's like to be hot in the day, right? Now, they didn't have running water in their houses like we do, so they had to get some sort of jug, and they had to go out to a well, and this was one of the the women's chores in that culture. Again, ladies, don't get mad at me and start throwing stuff. It's just the way it was. The women would go get water in jugs and they would bring it back to the house for their daily water, for washing, for drinking, for whatever they needed. So they would go out and get water. Now, ladies, if you had to carry a jug full of water, walk out to a well, fill it up, and bring it back to your house, what time of day are you going to go? You're going to go nice and early when it's still cool, right? That's what ladies in this culture would do. And they would go to the closest well. But the woman at the well, the Bible tells us she goes at high noon when it's nice and warm outside. And she's not doing what most of the women do. Most of the women would go in a group so they can braid each other's hair and tell each other's stories, I guess, while they go or whatever, right? But this woman goes all by herself. She goes at noon. She doesn't go to the well that's closest to town. As a matter of fact, she goes to the well that's on the outskirts of town. This woman is doing this because she has nobody else. She can't associate with the regular Samaritans. She has to go all by herself. She's a woman that's been married five times. The other women don't want to have anything to do with her. And she makes her way out to this water well. And as she's walking out there in the distance she sees a group of men walking her way. She doesn't know that it's Jesus and the disciples. But she sees this group of men walking her way. And certainly as they got closer, she would have been able to recognize these aren't just men. These are Jewish men. So this would have been really rare in that culture, A, to see men, but B, to see Jewish men walking her way. So as she's walking out to the well, she certainly would have just ducked her head, stared down at the ground, And walked right past these men so that she can get to the well and get the water that she needs. Certainly would have been very little eye contact, no conversation. She passes these men and little does she know that she's about to encounter the savior of the world. She's about to have an encounter that's going to transform her life from being a zero to being a hero in one moment. In one conversation. Little did she know that she's about to have a conversation with Jesus himself. An interesting side note here. This is the longest conversation with a person in the Gospels. Jesus and the lowest of the low right here. The woman at the well. It's the longest conversation recorded in the Bible. Little did she know that songs would be written about her. That videos would be made about her. That sermons would be preached about her, that she would be noted in the Bible and forever known as the woman at the well. She would have never guessed any of that stuff about herself because she had no self esteem to realize that what was about to happen would transform her life. All she knew was that she was empty inside and she needed some refreshment. She needed some water. She would have known, though, that she had something within her that she's never been able to quench. That there's a true emptiness inside of her where life has left her thirsty. As she's sitting, as she's walking to the well, she would have realized that there's a man sitting there at the well. This is not an accidental encounter. Jesus himself is waiting at the well because he is going to intentionally meet this woman there. And I want to say to you, if you're here this morning, it's not an accident whether your wife said, get up, we're going to church, whatever it may be. Every time you come here, Jesus wants to intentionally meet with you and speak in to your life. I don't know what your view of God is. Let's face it, your view of God is determined by the circumstances you grew up in. Your view of God is determined by the experiences that you have gone through in life. And as we look at this story... It's not so much about our view of God, but I hope that you see how God views you as we see how God views this imperfect woman. You know, our our slogan here at Rock Hills Church is come as you are. As imperfect as you are with the things that you struggle with, the things that you think in your head that nobody else sees or knows about, the past maybe that you've never even dealt with, come as you are. Just as this woman did. So let's look at the the context here. Let's look at the story. In verse 3, John chapter 4 says this, so Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee, right? San Antonio to Kerrville. Verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, first of all, he didn't have to. He's Jesus, right? He could have gone however he wanted to. He could have gone the way the All the other Jews go and take the long route, right, through San Marcos and Fredericksburg. But the Bible tells us he had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go? Because he was going to meet the Samaritan woman there. He is going to change her story. Jesus can meet all of us right in the middle of our mess. Verse 5, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. Near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So here's this woman She's walking up to the well. There's this Jewish man sitting at the well. I can only imagine that she's thinking, all right, I'm just going to get my water. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to get my water, dip it down in the well, pull it back up, and I'm going to get out of here as quick as I can. And she's up there trying to busy herself and get out of this really awkward situation. And all of a sudden, this Jewish man, Jesus, he breaks the silence. Would you give me a drink? from from your jug? Can I have a sip of that? All right. First of all, this would have been totally unusual for the Jewish man to even talk to the Jewish woman. But he says to her, "Can I drink from your jar? Can my hand touch what your hand touched? You know what? My my lips will even be where your lips have been." He says, "Can I have a drink From your jar. I believe that he is making a statement about how he views her. He values her as a person. He doesn't see her as the woman who had five husbands that's a Samaritan. He sees her as the person that God created that has worth and value. And he says, I've gone out of my way just so I can meet here with you. Jesus will go out of His way to meet with us. The woman was surprised, it says in verse 9. Of course she was. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She's dumbfounded by this interaction with this man. And Jesus replied to her, And I think this is where a lot of us can find, we can find ourselves. If you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would have given you living water. All right. All of a sudden, Jesus is going big picture here. He's telling her what's really going on, but it's a concept that she probably doesn't understand because he's saying, I just want to give you something better than you could ever understand. He's not saying, I want to trade something with you. I want to barter or I want to manipulate something to get something out of you. He's just saying, I want to give you something. And there may be some of you here today that you feel like you want to follow God, but there's something within you that feels like, well, man, I got to get right. And I got to do this in my life and this in my life and stop doing this in my life and this in my life. And Jesus is telling you, no, I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you forgiveness. Eternal life. It is a free gift. Would you accept it? And we have this mindset in our lives, like I'm sure this woman did. Nothing is for free, everything has strings attached. Certainly, this woman, if anybody believed that. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. This is the gift of God. And He wants to give it to her. This is what I think happens. I think all of a sudden the light bulb. Begins to come on and she's realizing this just isn't a normal conversation with a man. He's offering me something more. He's not just talking about the water that goes in this jug. He's talking about something a lot bigger than that. And I think she pulls herself back together. In verse 11, she says, but, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water and besides Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons enjoyed? She understands something greater than just water is going on here. She understands that Jesus is offering her something. Something that maybe she's really looked for all of her life. Something that she cannot get for herself. This water that's in the well is natural, but he's offering her something bigger than that. Jesus replies to her in verse 13. Anyone who drinks this water, anybody who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And all of a sudden, she begins to understand the contrast. This is natural. You're offering me something supernatural, something bigger than that. He's saying, I have something that you've been thirsting for all of your life, but you haven't been able to quench. Five husbands husbands later, you still haven't been able to find what you're truly looking for. And I came here to meet today with you so that you could have what God is truly offering you. And she responds. She says in verse 15, Verse 15, Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. She looks at him. She's just met this guy, but she sees something bigger, something that she knows that she truly needs in her life. And all of a sudden, this is making for a great story. Here's Jesus. Here's this woman who's down and out. He offers her something great. She says, "Okay, I'll take it. But then all of a sudden, Jesus totally changes gears. And he does something that's completely insensitive. You come to me with a problem and you say, hey, Pastor Adam, would you pray for me about this and that? If I do something like this, you're going to get mad at me. You're going to go home and put it up on Facebook. Man, that guy at Rock Hills, he's such a jerk. You're going to tell all your friends, man, don't ever go to that church. I can't believe how they treated me. Watch what Jesus does here. He looks at her and then he says this, verse 16. Go get your husband. Oh, awkward silence right there. Jesus told her, lemon in the wound, right back to the source of her very insignificance. Every reason that she's a failure. Every reason that she just stinks at life. Right there. Jesus says, go get your husband. Just right there. She responds in verse 17. And I can just imagine... She gets a little choked up and her eyes start watering. She drops her head in shame. She says in verse 17, I don't have a husband. The woman replied. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Why would Jesus do this? I mean, he's offering her something so great and then he turns it around and just sticks the knife right in the back. It seems like he does this with us, too. He suddenly puts us in places where we can get really uncomfortable. But when he does that, he's putting us in touch with what we really need in life. The true source of our insignificance, the thing that really causes us to thirst and feel empty in life. What Jesus is doing is He's saying, I'm offering you living water, but come on. I want you to understand what really leaves you empty in life. It's not the water. It's something much greater than that. You know, church isn't about you leaving and feeling good all the time. Yes, we do feel good when we leave here a lot of times, but church is really about letting God heal you from the inside out. And that's what Jesus is doing right here with this woman. She wants living water. Jesus is offering living water, but He's saying you need to own up to something in order to have this living water. You need to own up to the fact that your attempts in life to quench your thirst have failed. The things that you've looked for in life to satisfy yourself have failed. We found ourselves in that spot a lot of times, haven't we? That's where this woman is. She hasn't been able to satisfy her life. So she changes the subject in verses 19 through 24, and she begins talking a little bit of philosophy about him, about what the Samaritans believe and about what the Jews believe. And Jesus answers those questions for her. And then it kind of concludes the conversation. At least she tries to conclude it in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. So all of a sudden, she this, this conversation got really uncomfortable. So she's just going to wrap it up. She's going to take her water and kind of back out of there. She says, listen, I, I believe, okay? I believe that the Messiah will come one day. I got to go. Bye. Right? I mean, she's going to back up out of there. Verse 26. I believe Jesus stopped her as she's walking away. And he looks her right in the eye and Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And I believe she felt that with every ounce of her being, spines, uh, chills ran up and down her spine. As she, the light bulb comes on and she realizes you are the Messiah. I understand now this living water that you're talking about. And all of a sudden she got in touch with her True thirst, what she was truly looking for in life, and she embraced what Jesus was offering. Truth is, you and I can know Him, just like this woman here had the opportunity to know Him. My prayer for every single one of you is if you're searching and trying to find the answers, that you would come to a place where you can truly know Christ. I'd love to pray with you after the service if you feel like, I don't know if I know Him or not. I want to pray with you after the service. You can do that by simply surrendering your life. And I'd love to pray with you, if that's you, so that we can surrender your life together to God and celebrate in that. The disciples come back in verse 27. In verse 28, this woman, standing there with her jug, leaves it. It says, the woman left her water jar. This represented everything that she was looking for. She left it beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? I think this is this woman's phone booth moment. She went from being Clark Kent, and she changed to being Superman. Because she just encountered Jesus. Because this woman who was used and abused, who was broken and intimidated and afraid. What does it say that she did? She left behind what she came for and she runs to the village where she came from, where nobody wants anything to do with her, where she's a joke. She's the person that people gossip about. She runs right back to them. And what does it say? It doesn't say she timidly goes back to the village. She ran back to the village and she told a few of her friends what happened. No, the Bible tells us she told everyone, come and meet the man who just told me everything. Come and meet the man who could be the Messiah. This woman who had no personality left, no self-esteem left, all of a sudden has a boldness and has courage to go to everyone in the community and say, come and see what I have found. Verse 30, watch what happens. So the people came streaming from the village. The people that she had no influence over, all of a sudden the people came streaming from the village to see him this woman turned into a superhero because she just reached her entire community because of one encounter and it doesn't stop there let's finish up here in verse 39 let's see how this encounter ends it says many samaritans from that village believed in Jesus Because the woman had said, he told me everything that I did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Watch this. They said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior. Listen to me, guys. God can take an ordinary person and do something extraordinary through them. God can take your life, no matter how messed up it may have been, no matter what side of the tracks you grew up on, God can take your life and use it to do something extraordinary. God took this woman and reached her whole community. Not only did they come streaming, they begged Jesus to come and stay. Jesus, we want you to stay here. And then I love the response at the end. We believe first because of what you said, but now we believe because we ourselves heard Jesus and we know that He is the Savior of the world. What if God could use you to where people would go, I'm I'm kind of interested in whatever's going on in your life. And they get so interested that not only are they curious that they might come to church or they might hear about what's going on in your heart, but then they would come to the place where they would learn from Jesus Himself about who they are and how He values them and how He died to save them. And that the people around us that we work with, that we go to school with, that live in your neighborhood, your family that's never going to go to church, what if they got to the place where they could say, now we know that He is the Messiah. Because we heard from you, but then we heard from Jesus. I believe God wants to use us at Rock Hills to do that. I believe God wants to use you in the community. I believe God wants to use you right here at Rock Hills so that we can reach kids, so that we can reach other people, so we can add more rock groups and reach our community. If you're not volunteering, I'd love for you to sign up and do this. I'll be real honest and upfront with you. We've had about five of these turned in over the last three weeks. All right? I think we can do better than that because I think we can reach our community. I think God can use us to make a difference. This woman went from zero to hero. If he did that in her, he did that for you and for me. We're about to celebrate communion. I don't think there's any better way to symbolize that. I was nothing, but Jesus took my place. He paid my price so that I could move from zero to hero. Let me pray for you guys, and then Al's going to come up and lead us in communion. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that regardless of where we've come from or where we've been, you meet us right where we're at. You step into the middle of our mess. Lord, use our lives to make a difference. Lord, we thank you for the price that was paid. In Jesus' name, amen.